welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. Let's get started with our team timeout. Our patient today is the skin and soft tissue module from the General Surgical Curriculum. And the operation or topic we'll be covering today is squamous cell carcinoma. So squamous cell carcinoma is defined as a proliferation of atypical transformed keratinocytes. It's a very common skin malignancy and is commonly found on sun-exposed areas such as the head and neck in men and upper limbs in women. The risk factors for the development of squamous cell carcinoma include both modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors. Modifiable risk factors and the most important is sun exposure and it's the cumulative exposure to UVB radiation that damages the DNA of keratinocytes and predisposes to the development of squamous cell carcinoma. Other modifiable risk factors include smoking and exposure to carcinogens such as beetle nuts and the human papilloma virus. Non-modifiable risk factors include patients with lighter Fitzpatrick skin types, immunosuppression, chronic inflammation or ulceration, which predisposes to a specific subtype of SCC called a margillans ulcer, previous trauma, and radiation exposure. The presentation of squamous cell carcinoma includes in situ disease, invasive disease, and metastatic disease. So some of the in situ presentations of SCC includes Bowen's disease, which is a carcinoma in situ. Bowen's disease is a pre-malignant intraepidermal carcinoma, and it presents as an erythematous patch or plaque with scale, and it can be pigmented. And under the microscope, Bowen's disease looks like atypia of the keratinocytes, which involves the full thickness of the epidermis. And Bowen's disease can rarely progress into invasive squamous cell carcinoma. The other pre-malignant lesion is solar keratosis, which again is a type of squamous cell carcinoma in situ. If you've ever worked in Australia, you've seen plenty of solar keratoses. And the other name for this is actinic keratoses. Solar keratoses appear as gritty macules, plaques, or papules on a sort of erythematous base. And they often have a yellow or white scale. And they can even have a keratotic horn extending from the lesion. They're typically asymptomatic, but they can be itchy, and these do have about a 25% risk of progressing into an invasive squamous cell carcinoma if not treated. Under the microscope, solar keratoses have hyperkeratosis and dysplasia of the epidermal basal layer of keratinocytes, and there's also background evidence of dermal collagen damage or dermal solar elastosis, which is one of the differentiating features from Bowen's disease. 
The main differential between a actinic keratosis and a SCC on histopathology is that an actinic keratosis only has atypia in the lower part of the epidermis, but in SCC, the atypia involves the entire epidermis and obviously can infiltrate deeper into the dermis in infiltrating or invasive disease. And then obviously squamous cell carcinoma can present as an invasive SCC. And this is a invasive type of tumor that arises from the keratinocytes, as I've said, and usually presents as a keratitic papule or nodule, which often has some scale or plaque on it. And that's one of the key features when you're looking at these lesions to differentiate them from other skin cancers. They can also have raised, everted edges and a central scab as well. And microscopically, squamous cell carcinoma or invasive squamous cell carcinoma has atypical keratinocytes. There may be loss of the basement membrane, loss of normal cell polarity, cytological atypia, and frequent mitoses. The presence of epithelial pearls of keratin is also pathognomonic of SCC. So if you see a skin lesion that's suspicious for an SCC, what do you do next? So the first thing is take a full history and you're asking about those risk factors I mentioned earlier. So what is the patient's sun exposure? What is their smoking status? Are they on any immunosuppressive medications? Have they been treated for SCCs or um, actinic or solar keratoses before? And have they had any previous issues with the skin there, like ulcerations or burns? You're then going to do an examination, starting with the lesion and looking at the size of the lesion, the margins, the surrounding skin quality, looking to see if there's any fixidity to the underlying tissues, looking for that keratin a plug or um, keratin scale on the lesion, and then doing an examination of the regional lymph nodes because the pattern of spread for squamous cell carcinoma is typically locally and lymphatically. So you want to examine the draining lymph node basins. And then you also want, like with any skin lesion, to do a whole skin check to look for other skin lesions. The next step really depends on what the tumor looks like, what the size is, and its location, as well as your suspicion that there may be any evidence of metastases to regional nodes. So for example, if you had a very small lesion, maybe less than a centimeter in size, and it's mobile with no evidence of local invasion, it's on the trunk or the limbs, there's no evidence of lymphadenopathy, then you may just go ahead and excise the lesion with a three to four millimeter margin, and that could potentially cure the problem. If it's a very large tumour, there's suspicion for local invasion due to fixidity or neurovascular symptoms distally on the limb, or it's in a highly sensitive location on the face, or you're suspicious for metastases to lymph nodes with your clinical examination, then instead I would probably be saying that I would want to confirm the diagnosis with a biopsy. And this will both help confirm the diagnosis and also the depth of the lesion. 
So options include a punch biopsy, taking multiple punches around the deepest parts of the lesion and the edge of the lesion, a shave biopsy, which is more done by dermatologists, I think, or an incisional biopsy where you, if you have a very large lesion, may cut out a small portion in order to obtain a diagnosis. The benefits of getting a biopsy in these situations is that you can confirm the diagnosis, make sure it's not a different type of tumor, and it gives you time to plan your approach. It also gives you time to work up if it's a very big lesion to make sure that there's no evidence of local or distant disease. So you do an examination of the nodal basins, and if there's any concern for lymphadenopathy, then you organize an ultrasound of the nodal basins and an FNA to confirm if there is any regional nodal involvement. If there is lymph node involvement, you would probably want to stage that patient for evidence of metastatic disease, and the staging scan of choice is a CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis. PET scans aren't funded for cutaneous SCC, but some institutions may also do a PET scan. Other indications for staging are essentially features that put that patient at higher risk of metastatic disease. And that's really the list also that is associated with a poorer prognosis overall for patients with cutaneous SCC. So this includes tumours that are more than two centimetres in size tumours that are more than four millimetres thick, poorly or undifferentiated tumours, tumours near major nerves in their head or neck, tumours that invade deep structures or have an infiltrative growth pattern, patients with systemic signs suggestive of extracutaneous involvement, and any histopathological high-risk features such as perineural invasion, lymphovascular invasion, desmoplasia, so a prominent fibrous reaction, as well as clinical features such as rapid growth, high-risk sites such as the ears and lips, multiple skin cancers, or patients with immunosuppression. There is a TNM staging system for cutaneous SCC. T1 is less than 2 cm primary, T2 is a 2 to 4 cm primary, and T3 is a more than 4 cm primary or deep invasion, more than 6 mm, and T4 is invasion into deeper structures. N1 is ipsilateral nodes, less than 3 cm in size, and N2 is ipsilateral nodes more than 3 centimetres in size or multiple ipsilateral nodes 3 to 6 centimetres in size. And N3 is a node more than 6 centimetres in size. M1 is contralateral nodes or distant metastatic disease. I also just briefly wanted to mention the grading of SCC, which is into well, poorly or undifferentiated And this depends on the amount of keratin, which is obviously a well-differentiated feature because that's what keratinocytes are supposed to do, and also the amount of cellular atypia. So a well-differentiated squamous cell carcinoma has abundant cytoplasm, mild to moderate atypia, and well-developed keratinization. 
a poorly differentiated squamous cell carcinoma has minimal or no keratinization, a high nuclear to cytoplasmic ratio, and atypical nuclei. And an undifferentiated SCC has no keratinization, and the diagnosis has to be based on the immunohistochemistry because it doesn't even look like an SCC anymore. So let's talk about the management of SCC. And we'll actually start by talking about the management of those pre-malignant conditions that I mentioned earlier. So the first of these was Bowen's disease, which is SCC in situ. And this is where the dysplasia involves the full thickness of the epidermis, but doesn't invade into the dermis. And the treatment options for Bowen's disease include topical therapies, or surgical excision with a 0.5 centimeter margin or 5 millimeter margin. Some of the topical therapies include topical 5-FU or 5-fluorouracil cream, which is a chemotherapy cream, or topical imiquimod cream, which is a cream that enhances the own body's immune reaction to the tumor. You can also give photodynamic therapy with a photosensitizing agent such as methyl aminolevulinate, which causes apoptosis and necrosis of the target cells. And then in terms of surgery, as I've mentioned, surgical excision with a 0.5 millimeter margin can be used for Bowen's disease. But often with Bowen's disease, it's quite a large area. So this may leave a large defect that needs reconstruction with a skin graft or flap. The next one I talked about was actinic keratoses or solar keratoses. And again, solar keratoses can be treated with topical therapies or with surgery. So first-line treatment for localized actinic keratoses is actually liquid nitrogen or cryotherapy, and this essentially destroys the lesion, so you're not going to get any pathology with this treatment. GPs often do this in the rooms, and then in the case of recurrent disease, they may be suspicious that maybe it isn't an actinic keratosis and refer it to you. Patients can also have curatage or shave treatments with dermatologists, especially for larger lesions. Other topical therapies are essentially what we just talked about. So 5-FU cream, topical imiquimod cream, photodynamic therapy where that photosensitizing chemical is put on the lesion and then it's treated with a light to irradiate the lesion or you can even use diclofenac sodium gel, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent. These topical treatments do cause an inflammatory reaction, and so patients have to be compliant with the treatment in order to get through it and need to warn them that they're going to get quite red, sore skin in the treatment area. These topical therapies are useful if there's like a large area of skin that's involved, um, especially if there's sort of a field change because you can treat the entire area and prevent further um, actinic keratoses and SCCs from developing. Obviously, surgical excision is also an option but is less desirable, especially because the atypia is confined just to the epidermis. So these topical treatments should be able to treat the problem. Mm-hmm. 
So let's move on to talk about the management of invasive squamous cell carcinoma. Essentially, surgery is first-line treatment for invasive SCC. In terms of the excision margins, for a tumour that's less than 2 centimetres in size, a 4 millimetre margin is considered acceptable. For a tumour that's more than 2 centimetres in size, you should be aiming for a 1 centimetre margin. And if there's other high-risk features for local recurrence, then you should need to aim for that larger margin of 1 centimetre. If you get an involved margin, this is a little different from BCC. So in an SCC, if you excise it and you have an involved margin with or less than one millimeter clearance, then 50% of these will recur. So you should always re-excise these. And there's no evidence for sentinel lymph node biopsy in squamous cell carcinoma. If you have a smaller lesion, definitely less than two centimeters in size, then you could consider a curatage or punch excision, but I don't think I'd be saying that in the exam. And then the other option, especially if the tumor is in a sensitive area or a cosmetically sensitive area, is Mohs micrographic surgery. And so this is a technique where they take progressive shaves of the lesion and do frozen sections and then excise tissue only where the deep margin is still positive and continue until you get clear histopathology. And that's often performed by dermatologists. In terms of surgery for the lymph node basins, for metastatic squamous cell carcinoma, lymph node dissection is required for involved regional lymph node basins. So this may include axilla, groin, or selective neck dissection in patients who are fit for these procedures. If there is nodal involvement, this is a complex problem and these patients should be being presented definitely at an MDT and being staged sufficiently. The other treatment option we have for squamous cell carcinoma is radiotherapy. And SCC can be quite a radiosensitive tumor, although radiotherapy is not first line for SCC. It may be used as a primary therapy in patients who are frail or have comorbidities that mean that they're not able to undergo surgery, or if surgery is going to have a significant cosmetic or functional outcome that's not acceptable. The other reason radiotherapy may be considered is in patients who have advanced stage disease. So radiotherapy could be used to treat involved nodes if a patient wasn't fit for surgery or may be used as a treatment to the primary area after excision if there's close margins or very high risk tumor biologies, such as tumors that are more than six millimeters thick, that have inadequate margins where further surgery is a problem, or other poor prognostic features we talked about, such as perineural or lymphovascular invasion, sensitive sites, and patients with immunosuppression. Radiotherapy can be given adjuvantly to a nodal site as well after nodal dissection if there's high risk for local recurrence in the nodal basin such as extranodal spread, large nodal metastases, and extensive lymphovascular invasion. The other role radiotherapy may play is in patients who present with in-transit metastases, kind of the same that you can get in 
melanoma. And so patients who present with in-transit metastases usually have these excised and then would be adjuvantly treated with radiotherapy. For patients who are presenting with locally advanced or metastatic disease, there are systemic treatment options. If the disease is resectable, then surgery and adjuvant radiation is still preferred. But for patients with unresectable disease, systemic chemotherapy, which is often platinum-based, like cisplatin, combined with radiotherapy can be considered. There are some targeted therapies that are used in squamous cell carcinoma. So this includes cetuximab, which is an epidermal growth factor receptor inhibitor, which is approved for SCC of the head and neck. And this can be used in combination with radiation therapy or platinum-based chemotherapy. And patients who are unsuitable for surgery or radiation can be treated with upfront PD-1 inhibitors. And if we remember from our melanoma tube, PD-1 inhibitors are a type of immunotherapy that binds to the PD-1 receptor on T cells to activate the immune response against the tumor. And one particular type of PD-1 inhibitor, semiplumab, has been approved in Australia for adults with metastatic or locally advanced cutaneous SCC who are not candidates for curative surgery or radiation therapy. So just briefly to finish off this episode, I think it's just worth talking about margillin's ulcers. Margillin's ulcers are a type of squamous cell carcinoma that arises in a long-standing scar, ulcer, or sinus. And it's common to see these in areas of burns, chronic ulceration on the legs, or sinuses related to chronic osteomyelitis. And they love these pictures of um, skin grafts on burn sites with an ulcer in there. And you have to pick up that this is a margillin's ulcer. Margillin's ulcers are a type of squamous cell carcinoma that's much more aggressive in terms of its phenotype. And so you may consider staging in these patients because of the fact that they're that much more aggressive and metastasize early. They tend to be slow growing and painless and the edges are not always raised or everted. In my experience, you have to have a pretty high index of suspicion in patients with ulcers that aren't healing that there could be an underlying malignant process going on. And every sort of six months or so in a patient with ulceration, doing some punch biopsies is a good idea to rule out malignant transformation. And that completes this episode on squamous cell carcinoma. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave me a review, rate the podcast and subscribe. It makes it easier for others to find. And I love reading your reviews. It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying!